Hey everyone, and welcome to the 23rd installment of the Weekly Catch-Up Podcast. I'm Carson Gibbons, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Mr. B-Rad Colvin. And that'd be me. What's up, man? Oh, I'm ready to get it open, man. So we didn't introduce the date. It is March 2020, but this is a timeless episode. It is. So what we've done is we've pre-structured some questions about one another's lives and preferences and different things to let the the tots out there know a little bit more about Mr. B Rad and Carson Gibbons. Oh yeah, it's time to catch all up on us. So we'll uh we'll get into that next. Yeah man. Let's get it. It's the weekly catch up with Carson and Brad. Here to talk about the week we done had. It could be sports, religion, politics. We keeping the tabs. You would think they work for Gucci. How they deep in they bag. Get your facts up. On Wednesday, we'll be counting the stats up. So turn the volume up till it's maxed up. You know the drill. So tell a friend to tell a friend to relax up and chill. We back up. This is the weekly catch up. So, man. You ready to uh, get a little personal? Yeah, you've been teasing the Twitter audience all day and and Instagram. You That's got some, right. some random submissions. So yes, yes, we do. Do you want to do you want to take five minutes here at the outset to do some corrections? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. So first of all, shout out to Heather for tots, and I, I heard that you have a story about her coming yeah. through in the clutch for you. Yeah. So I'm sitting here right now with uh, my eye looking real pink. But it's not pink eye. Um, I was wearing my contact and it really messed it up. Um, but I sent in pictures to Heather um, just in case I needed to take a visit to go see her husband today. And um, ended up just needing to go get some drops for my eye. And it doesn't look near as bad as it was looking at 7 a.m. this morning. Um, but I was able to speak with on the phone with Heather. And um, as soon as she answered, I was like, oh, well, 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 it's my number one tot. And uh, she got a good laugh out of that. And uh, yeah, it was just good. Just good uh, hearing her voice. And I appreciate her her help in trying to ensure that my eye is okay. That's so cool that your dentist practices general <laughs> medicine as well. Like I need to find oh, I hate one you. of these. I hate you. Uh, Heather, if you have a, a referral to um, a ophthalmologist, um dentist that would be great all right moving okay. on man what do you so, gotta correct well you know we gotta talk about the rona shout out yeah shout out to uh shellbell actually sent me a conspiracy theory based off the last episode yeah. and just said that what if the chinese government had wanted to thin out the elderly population because they're just packed too densely over there and they, yeah. they needed the space and the bandwidth for other members of the population and i texted her back immediately and i was like that's actually the most realistic um, I didn't say that straightforward. You did. Um, I probably didn't. You know, she had time to rehearse and text what she was thinking about saying. So yeah. you just were you were I was just blabbing. You get a you get a pass, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> You're kind of half of this show. So <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> My name's in the song, bro. But no, ultimately, what I will say is that my correction for the week is you know, I have some newfound understanding, I think we all do, yeah. of kind of coronavirus and what's actually occurring here. And it, it's going to be a longer term phenomena uh, than, you know, a quick fix in a new a news cycle that, you know, goes through every six hours or so. Yeah. Um, You know, if you last 18 to 24 hours in a news cycle anymore, you're 
just, you know, front page news. Mm -hmm. It's breaking everywhere. But otherwise, the news uh, cycle is over. And I know that a lot of people were looking to the administration and just the CDC and all of this for some quick containment. I'm not really sure what the alternative was when you really think about it. Like, oh, (laughs) you know, there's 200 cases, but now they're all we we fixed them all. Like everybody's good. I guess that would have been them squashing it like the public would have uh, expected. But long story short, um, I did listen to a scientist that came on to uh, Rogan's podcast uh, a day or two ago. Uh, He actually, they made it sound like he had been pre-booked for a period of time. And then it was just such great timing that he happened to be like a liaison to the coronavirus for administration and all these different items. But essentially, you know, 150 million of us, you know, to quote Joe Biden, not have been murdered, but will get coronavirus in this country. Like each each mega population center in the world, probably likely 50 to 70 percent conservatively will end up contracting the the virus. Yeah. And so, you know, at this point, they've shut down every St. Patty's Day parade this weekend. They've shut down. The, uh, basketball has officially gone to spectatorless. Yeah. The rodeo games. has the been Houston. canceled. I heard that the biggest news coming out of that was that Lizzo, everybody wanted to see Lizzo. Oh, I saw people wanting to see Khalid. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, Lizzo makes sense too. I guess our feeds are different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the algorithms are different for you and me, Mr. B-Rad, and that's why we compliment each other on this show. Absolutely, my so, man. So anyway, long story short, I, I don't think that it's man-made. I think that you know, they did actually say the the most recent evidence would uh, lead you to believe that um, the animal in China that is served through the wet markets that they have there where all different types of meat alive and dead are piled on top of each other in a very densely packed populated area and it leads to disease. And so the little porcupine anteater, uh, what's the polylim... Will you look up the animal real quick? Sure. Um, just because I know we've referenced it several times on this podcast and have yet to actually pronounce it properly, but they the, do think the chupacabra. That, no, <laughs> they do think that that indeed was the culprit. That the virus—it's amazing how many viruses actually can originate in animal species and then ultimately be passed to humans. That's one of the findings from this most recent podcast with Rogan that I highly recommend all of you go check out because it's not a lot. It is alarming. It's not alarmist, if that makes sense. But it's a realistic take on what's actually going to happen. And that jives with all, all the numbers that I've, you know, gotten from the CDC and all of these other sources that are, you know, close to the heart of it. Do you have it? Right. Yeah. So the animal that you're looking for is uh, possibly pangolin. Pangolin. Thank yeah. you. Pangolin, bat, and snake. That's, yeah. That's where they're thinking that it's Dude, coming from. Nasty food over there, but whatever. Um, it, What I didn't even realize is that try this on for size. So the the infrastructure of the world is so, you know, just duct taped together. Like yeah. basically, did you know that up until the hurricane in Puerto Rico that every like 90% of uh IV bags were produced in a number of factories in Puerto Rico? I had no idea. And that if you'd ever thought that the global supply of IV supply bags could be wiped out instantly by a hurricane because it's the only producers are in this one square mile radius. Like how ridiculous is that? That's That's what we're talking about. Like China and India manufacture all of our drugs. Yeah. Like 
mission critical drugs that keep people alive. So this infrastructure is totally screwed. Anyway, the Chinese ate these pangolins. They sold these pangolins. It originated in Wuhan, obviously. And essentially what we're seeing is a, a half-life of four days where it basically doubles in size every four days. So you don't show symptoms for a minute and then you're infecting people if you simply share an airspace with them. Mm. So regardless of whatever you're touching, like definitely wash your hands and all of that stuff. But yeah. if you're sharing, if if you're breathing in air that I breathed out and, you know, I'm infected, then you're going to be infected essentially. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 70%, 50 to 70% of Americans are going to get this. It's going to be with us for the next year. Like he was talking about people being infected in 2021. Yep. And, you know, it is what it is. So in some ways, the only thing I really want to talk about with this, and then we can get into our, our pre-canned segments here, is why why are we canceling events if we know that we're all inevitably going to get it? Why are we practicing this social distancing? Why don't we all just get it and overwhelm the system because the minute there's an override feature where i didn't quite understand this but if two of us in the room already had it and then there's one transmitter like we wouldn't get it again within that same approximate time period so why don't we just all get it it. let's get sick together yeah let's get sick tots yeah (laughs) i'm about it anyway (laughs) i feel like my i mean i i take my vitamins Mm mm-hmm yeah, they said to just practice being healthy overall. Uh, they said try to avoid being eighty or over. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I did call my can. I did call my granny today and checked in on her, and I said, "Granny, I'd like it if you watched church on the tube for the next couple of weeks." Mm-hmm. I said, "Don't go to the big hall where the real old folks are either. <laughs> I don't want you in that recirculated air situation." Yeah. So anyway, that's good. Okay, so. Jumping into our timeless format, since yes. we're we're actually recording this episode a little bit early, Brad's going to be out gallivanting in Colorado, so oh yeah, Brad will definitely have coronavirus after his flight on Friday. That's right, baby. Looking forward to it. So, what we've done is we submitted to one another uh, thirteen questions, and these are of varying, I guess, seriousness levels yeah. and. Just kind of just personal interest too. Yeah, they're just a little smattering. So our our idea was that we would interview one another, and uh, we've already written down our answers. And some of mine are probably going to open up a little bit of a conversation, as I'm sure yours are as well. But yeah. you ready for question number one? Hit me. All right, Mister B. Rad. Who are three public profile individuals whose careers you respect and why? Okay, so. These people that I've chosen vary in, I guess, how famous they are. Um, So my first one would be Chris Gethard. Um, He's a comedian. He um, has a podcast that I've mentioned on here before called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. And he's somebody that um, I just really admired. I I have had the opportunity to meet him. I sat in on one, on one of his uh, tapings of his shows and I was actually in the background and on the episode. I the forgot whole time. about that. Yeah. And, um, but the reason that I really enjoy him is just because he's a very, even though he's semi-famous, like he still stayed very genuine. Um, a lot of his jokes are done at his own expense. Like 
And then he has this whole HBO special where I wouldn't call it like a stand-up set, um, but it is humorous. But he goes into talking about like how he struggles with depression and anxiety. Um, and it just kind of opens up that door and, and kind of normalizes it for people. Um, and then his podcast helps people uh, understand different walks of life. Um, and so I just, I just think he's really cool. So I, I really enjoy him. Uh, how many people did you, you said three people? Yeah. Okay. Or however many you want. Yeah. I got, I mean, I got two more. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. Chris Gethard, yeah, um, you've exposed me to some of his stuff and he is definitely a character and I also enjoy his work. So yeah, I'll talk a, about his podcast choice. more here in a bit. Um, right on. Yeah. Um, my second person is Joe Budden. Obviously I've talked about, I was about, wondering if you were going to pick him. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't, I kind of sat there and it's like, well, he's been a part of my day more often than many people. Cause his podcast is typically like two and a half hours long and they come out on Wednesdays and Saturdays and there's, yeah, I don't know. I probably could have picked someone that maybe I technically enjoy more, but because I consume so much, so much of his product, like he also, what do you call that other than enjoyment? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. You keep coming back for he's more. Just, he's just very consistent. And so I'm obviously a fan of rap. Um, BTW. Yeah. I was on Shuffled the other day and rolled across a Joe Budden song. And about 30 seconds in, I was like, nah, fam. And I, <laughs> That's fine. I did not enjoy his work. That's okay. But I know I'm, that his voice on the podcast is like legendary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, I'm not going to get into his music. You're not a big fan of his music. No. Okay, yeah. And I even put, so I was like, I love that a retired rapper had enough forethought, like, because he's been in the podcast game for years now, and it's finally come to fruition, and he's making more money off of it and everything. But um, just the fact that he's on there, and he created this lane in which he can discuss music, and he's actually been in the music industry and, and can just call a lot of my other favorite artists and ask them for their opinions or if they've been in the news lately he can just call them and be like hey so what's going on there um it's just something that i really think is cool um like you and i like this podcast isn't our job but it is an interest of ours and so it's cool to see somebody else um i guess share that same interest like in, in podcasting and music um and then my third one would be John Mayer, believe it or not. Whoa, wild card. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I guess that totally makes sense. I prob- though, yeah, I know. <laughs> I probably started writing because of John Mayer and like his little love lyrics and, and you know poems like that. But I think he, I, I know he gets a bad rap and people can make fun of his songs and stuff and that's fine. But he has some of the most like beautiful lyrics in my opinion. Um, and those emotions made little middle school me feel something back in the day, you know? <laughs> and... And I just, I've always desired to write stuff that makes others feel the same way that I did whenever I heard his songs. Um, Interesting. Yeah. You had a real, real connection to him. Truly, with that. man. I mean, and I'm your not body just talking is a wonderland continuum. and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, that's so pop. Good. That's popping. You're being facetious, right? No, I enjoy that song. Oh, okay. How is that? That's like one of his lesser ones. Oh, okay. Well, what's your favorite song? Um, he has this one lyric where Some he's obscure where he says, "You know this paper heart, the one I filled with pencil marks. I think I might have gone and inked you in. Like that's just mm. 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 
And then he has a song called Stop This Train where he talks about like life just passing by and how he talks with his dad about how life gets older and his dad gives him advice like we can't stop this train like it just keeps going. Man, you're going to make me cry, dude. Oh, stop. it's so beautiful. Um, so those are my three. Right did, on. Did you pick uh, three people for yourself? Yeah, and I'm actually glad because some of these kind of they kind of mirror not mirror yours but some of the trajectories of these people or okay. what the reason why i like them um so who are three public profile individuals whose careers you respect and why so my first one you know this this gentleman has what is still a budding career but i just like his story and he's one of those few people that i would definitely consider switching lives with for a little period of time potentially and that is mr justin thomas on the pga tour okay so he's like a top top five uh in the world golfer um he's got 12 or 13 wins on the pga tour his dad um mike thomas was a pga tour professional nice. and was justin's only coach and justin has just emerged he's still only 25 26 um, but he's been dominant and winning since he was very early 20s. And so he is right around the age mark that we are. He's a couple years younger than us. Okay. But from a generational perspective, he grew up idolizing Tiger Woods. Like he grew up, if he was born in um, 90 or 92, you know, and Woods started winning when he was six years old from six to 20, Dang. Woods was dominant. You know, he was yeah. the number one golfer in the world, right. racking up 80 something wins. Mm -hmm. So, well, I guess 79 at that point. But anyway, I digress. Um, so now that he's he's paired with him in the President's Cup and hits the, you know, the cup winning uh, putt and embraces Tiger and it's a huge moment and like they're buddies. Yeah. And he's like living out this fantasy every single day because of the longevity of golf and the fact that, you know, Tiger can still be a contender at 43 then you have these 25 year olds that all grew up watching him. <laughs> so I almost live vicariously through him. And just the fact that, you know, he's a very likable character. Mm -hmm. um, he's in with all the cool guys on the tour and just great work ethic, ultimate competitor. Um, he's definitely someone whose career I, I respect and I'm excited to see where he nets out because he's going to be a dynamic force for the next, the next generation. Yeah. Nice. Is that funny? That's not funny. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Um, the, my second one is super weird. It's like my John Mayer. <laughs> um, I said Michael Strahan. Really? Yeah. Okay. So Michael has always just worked with what life dealt him. You know, people have asked him, why don't you straighten out your teeth? And then he goes, nah, well, then I damn. wouldn't be Michael Strahan, wouldn't I? Yeah. You know, I really respect that type of charisma. And I love the fact that he played NFL football in you know, the biggest market in the world, mm -hmm. New York, uh, for 10 solid years, helped them win a Super Bowl. And then through no injury, through no early onset of CTE, through no, you know, being released or degraded performance, he walked away because he was already experiencing so much popularity mm -hmm. and a positive feedback loop from broadcasting. Like he yeah. was one of those that went into the studio for the very first time to give some uh, analysis on someone else's game after he was eliminated in the playoffs or something right. of that effect. And they were just like, you know, you can get cozy here. Like you're, you're going to be here. Right. And so through his own volition and through his 
his own optionality that he helped create and manifest. He left football at his height Mm -hmm. and was still a young man and transitioned brilliantly into one of the most versatile type broadcasters that you, yeah. who else usually the football player, even in the football booth is the color commentator and they have a nerd that's running play by play. The fact that he's able to do the analysis with, you know, Terry, right. Jimmy, um, all those guys, Howie and Kurt, and then also do the on field stuff, the gimmicky stuff. He's yeah. also able to do live with Kelly and Michael, right? Good morning, America, like real interviews, like versatile uh, New Year's, like he is all over the place. There's nothing that he can't host or do or comment on. Hmm. And he's become just mainstream with this huge platform. And um, he's looks like he's had fun doing it at every step of the way. Yeah, I like that. So when you think about people that he started out with, Usually for most people, the goal is make it to the NFL and then mm-hmm. you'll be set. But there's guys that he started with that played a couple years. Maybe they made a couple million dollars. Maybe they squandered it all. Yeah. Think about the trajectory line of him and his influence, his reach yeah. versus somebody that got injured in year four. And It takes a smart man to be able to step away from that and realize that there's something better. To be able to parlay what you have going on into the next level consistently at that level, at that caliber is is special. Interesting. Shout out Michael. That's kind of, I wouldn't say Joe Budden's like on as big of a platform, but him like stepping away. I mean, even though you didn't really like his music, like he was signed to Eminem's label and he was on in Slaughterhouse and everything. And, you know, he came and started the podcast stuff and I was able to break through. So I, I get it, man. Um, my next, my next public profile individual will back you up because it's eerily similar. Mine was Joe Rogan. Hey, yes. And I, I'm not a big fan of Joe's stand-up comedy. Like, right. The same way that you're not a big fan of Budden's rap. Music, yeah. I'll watch. I'm sure you've listened to yeah. his entire yeah. discography, discography or whatever right. you would call it. Yep. Did I say that right? You did. Good job. Whoa! Man. Drop a beat, Carson. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> I feel like such an idiot whenever I'm talking about anything music related to Brad. Um, so anyway, Joe Rogan, I'm not a big, f- I'm not the biggest fan. Yeah, I, I have like other decent. comedians that I would rather watch, yeah. um, namely Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., those types of folks. Yeah. Um, however, I do enjoy some of his standup, but what I really love about him is his ability to straddle all of these worlds and do all of his passions mm-hmm. and to say that he's better at each for having done the other and namely I'm, I'm a big fan of jre joe rogan experience the podcast and what he's been able to build there which is i mean fascinating that you could start out just like we are with a couple mics that you mm-hmm. bought online and just self self i mean he still self-syndicates like yeah. it, he owns Wild. every every bit of that experience and has even researched ways to broadcast without being beholden to apple podcasts or youtube for instance mm-hmm. Um, more to come, I'm sure, but just his wild level of independence. He doesn't answer to anybody. He's created a cash cow and he gets to walk in and have Bernie Sanders on Monday, (laughs) you know, Mike Rowe on Tuesday, an infectious disease scientist at the middle of everything for the past six administrations commenting on coronavirus. Like really he, he provided more information in that one interview 
than all the news media has like since it started. Right. We actually got the real, all you need to go watch is the 15 minute JRE clip. It was funny. My mom sent it to me after I'd watched it and mm -hmm. she sent it to the family because yeah. I feel like everybody, a lot of people got the news in the last day or two mm -hmm. about all that stuff. Uh, my coworker was telling me about the fact that his brother, who is a, a doctor in residence, like called home and kind of had a family meeting and was like, hey, you know, you're being led to believe a couple different things, <laughs> but it, it's going to be a little bit more serious than yeah. what they're saying. Anyway, I digress again. So Rogan, um, the fact that he's able to also do UFC, which is something that I don't necessarily have an existing passion for per se, no. but he does. And the fact that he's able to span the martial arts and sports worlds with you know the psychedelics conspiracy theorist um you know political self-improvement all of those yeah. different smatterings of audiences that he has through joe rogan experience that would be like you going and doing golf which i'm sure you would love to do like oh yeah yeah i mean i have wild harebrained ideas some days about trying to get good enough to go on the champions tour one day i actually my dad and I played golf with a 47-year-old one time mm -hmm. who had gotten sponsors. He'd quit his day job because he was just good enough that he was like, I'm going to go on the Champions Tour and win some money. Yeah. So he accepted sponsors as like, I'm a new business. Mm -hmm. Put money into me. Own a piece of me. And then you'll get it back through sponsorships and winnings. Yeah. And I don't know whatever happened to him, <laughs> but I thought that was crazy that somebody that hadn't played PGA could go to the Champions Tour. Right. That's wild. Anyway, shout out, Joe. Shout out. All right. Question number one, check mark. Yeah. Question number two, who is somebody who had a profound impact on your life other than a parent or teacher growing up? Okay, so there was a lot of people to choose from, um, especially like a lot of my close friends. But I went with somebody who I've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, she goes by the name Monique Gaskins. Shout out, Monique. Um, Monique is someone that I went to college with, and then we've known each other in our adult lives after graduating. Um, Monique is unique in that she's been present and directly involved in many of my life-changing events. Like when we became friends in college, she gave me my first writing job for the Southwesterns, you know, the, the paper for the, and I've talked about that briefly on the podcast where I was, uh, you know, making a playlist for a lot of people on campus um, and songs for them to listen to. Um, she was also in most of my English classes and was like the only English major that fully understood me or like cared about um, the things that I did. We didn't, we didn't, uh, I don't know, just always talk about like Jane Austen and, and Shakespeare and all these different things. Like we were able to talk about our love for music or the next episode of Suits or whatever it was. Um, we kept in touch after graduation and we continued sharing music and TV shows that we thought each other would like. And then whenever it came time um, for my interview in Maryland, Monique had already moved back to DC and so she was living there. And whenever I went in for my interview, like her and I got lunch and she's like, you know, if you move out here, like you have me and you have my friends and we'll hang out with you. Make, we'll make sure that you feel at home. And that really meant a lot to me. Um, I experienced a lot of ups and downs in like the dating scene out in Maryland. And so did she. And so we would have many heart to hearts during uh, This Is Us commercial breaks. 
And uh, I watched her fall in love with her best friend while I was there. And I recognized that I wanted that in my life too. And um, so for the duration of my two years in Maryland, she probably knew more about me than anyone and helped me uh, during really t- difficult and evolving moments. And so she's kind of just been somebody who's been very present um, in my life, even though I haven't, I've have many friends who also mean a lot to me that I've known for much longer. But the fact that uh, she kind of knew about my life here um, during my college years, and then she was also there for my first time moving away from home and uh, was just a, a, a friend who was there in a time of need. Um, that's just something that I really, really appreciate. And it's just made me like, I want to be somebody's Monique too, you know, like I want to make sure that I'm there for them and that um, my friends feel comfortable coming to me uh, with their issues. And uh, yeah, so I was just really blessed to have her there and I'm very appreciative of her. Shout out Monique. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, man. Um, so my, my answer is a little bit different. I think that had I answered the question in the way that you did, it might be a different answer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cause I said, uh, a profound, who, who is somebody that had a profound impact on your life other than a parent or teacher growing up? So to me, that meant oh, probably, like younger missed, than college. I probably even missed though, the growing up part, but I probably did most of my growing up after college. No, so. I mean, really, that's a really fair point because um, I walked into a department store somewhere the other day and I saw these like little girls, you know, mm-hmm. like young, 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 young girls. Yeah. And I was like, well, where are their parents? And I realized that they were working there. <laughs> I was oh. like, did I look like that when yeah. I was 18? Like we were just children, mm-hmm. you know, but... Um, I had actually written down just because I, I was kind of reaching cause I'm thinking, okay, other than parents or teachers, like, uh, who's somebody who kind of had this like just pervasive influence in terms yeah. of your, my observation of them and, um, my experiences with them. And I would say that it would be my granddaddy, nice. um, my mom's dad, Jim Bothy, he passed away last year. Um, actually coming up probably probably uh, anniversary here in the next 60 days or so. But um, anyway, he, he was never the type to like take you aside and be like, this is the way a man lives his life or anything like that. It was more just like his, you know, he was the guy that illustrated how to live a good life um, while being a man of few words at times, you yeah. know, like yeah a lot of male relationships that you have, like you're not discussing a whole lot of deep stuff or it, the way that you handle conflict resolution might be different or right. you might, <laughs> we all have our different ways, but um, he was somebody that had just gone from rags to riches. Um, mm-hmm. When he was two years old, his father died back in 1927 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And growing up, he literally thought that they were going to starve to death in the great depression. Like he was with a single mom and a sister, a sister, two sisters, I think. Um, and they would like take in laundry to try to like make ends meet. And, you know, he just, he used to call them the battle days. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's maybe a driving force DNA wise, and maybe even nurture a little bit with the way that I'll answer some of these questions further down, which has always been like, I got to make it to the good old days, right. you know, because there was a clear line for him where he would talk about the bad old days and that's when everyone would gather around and this is going to be a good story. But then he made it, you know, yeah. and he he built his own business. 
he used to work in Dallas in the 60s when it was just the, the, the downtown area was like very metropolitan and taxis everywhere and a flurry yeah. of activity. Like the city hadn't been built out yet. So that was the real activity hub. And he just got off on that. You know, he bought a new sports car every two years to make the drive from Keene to Dallas every day, built a, a nice little profitable agency, like retired with a real nice nest egg. And he set the model for what I've always wanted. I don't even think I've connected these dots until now, hmm. but I've always said, when people say, what do you want to retire from? Or what do you want to retire as or when? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to retire. Like, right. I don't feel the need to draw lines in the sand like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to step back from day-to-day operations of whatever office I'm currently at, <laughs> but I'm going to have an office there until I'm dead because yeah. got to get away from, you know, the, the wife or whoever <laughs> is going on at that point. Like, cause yeah. he set the model. He built this agency, relocated it back to Keene, ended up selling it to my uncle at some point, but was still some sort of partner or whatever it was. He obviously had the the clout that he had an office there and he would go in. And as a kid, he would take me into the office. I'd get to go say hi to his secretary. It was old school. Mm -hmm. And we'd go check his stocks on the computer machine. And then we'd go home and watch Grandpa Lou on Fox Business Network and um, you know, he, he had a beautiful wife until the day she died, um, always kept her figure. You know, at one point, one of the famous stories in our family is I asked grand, I was just trying to get to the bottom of things and I was a very young child and I asked him, I'm like, so wait, cause I, I found out, I don't know if I saw something, but I'd seen something where he was basically giving grandmommy an allowance of sorts. Yeah. So like she had a shopping allowance, yeah. you know, and what I, what I asked him was, so all you need to do is like get rich granddaddy. And then you can like give someone an allowance and they stay pretty and cook meals for you. (laughs) And this was way before all all the woke culture. I was four or five years old. And I, those aren't necessarily the parts that I'm trying to emulate per se, but he, he was a man that had all of his independence because he was, um, you know, affluent to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. He was self-made completely. Um, and nobody has a bad word to say about him ever. Right. Like you will never encounter a person that, and also I guess he paid that respect forward as well. And mm-hmm. somebody commented at his funeral that you would never hear him mouthing off or gossiping about somebody out of school yeah. ever. And I, I thought that I, that's the one thing that I'll always remember and internalize that I had not, I wouldn't have thought about that. I, I didn't get to experience the majority of the context of our relationship at a time where I could grasp what that meant, Right. you know, because you don't realize that you're gossiping or putting others down until you're about 25, you know, in my case. Right. So, you know, anyway, so I just thought that he was a, an influence on my life for sure. And, you know, even, even just now, like live, I'm, I'm realizing even more some of the things that may have been modeled for me at early ages that I took as de facto or just, of course, that's what I want, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's so, awesome. Anyway. I love that. You ready to go into question number three? Yeah. It hit me. If you could go back and give your 20 year old self some advice, what would it be? Um, 20 year old, speak your mind more, stand up for yourself. And people don't really care what you, what you have to say as much as you think they do. Like 
So true. I've I've always wanted my words to like hold a lot of weight. And you still think that you matter at 20. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, what was I in for a rude awakening? Yeah. Um, and that's really all that I put. I mean, I, I have no regrets other than a lot of times where I probably just could have stood up for myself more or, or, um, or just like said how I really felt. And it took several years of, um, I don't know, I, I guess, uh, focusing and, and teaching myself to not worry so much about the repercussions of, of saying how you feel. Um, you know, me, like in relationships that was, that had always been a struggle. Um, I, I was kind of just like a pushover, but eventually, you know, I was able to kind of stand up for myself and, and what I believe and, um, what I think could be toxic in certain relationships. And that goes beyond even dating, just, you know, relationships with friends or family and, and, um, just being able to recognize that if a relationship is strong, again, whether it's somebody you're dating or a friendship or somebody in your family, if that relationship is strong, then it can withstand differences, differences of opinion. Um, and so that's been, like that does uh, take a while to yeah man. I, I feel like i just recently realized like when you see older generations and different um party fouls that have occurred with their friends and yet they still show up and like mm -hmm. you know are, are cordial and all i didn't understand like how that could happen and over the last couple of years you start to realize like you think that even before social media culture culture you thought that you could just cancel people or that Oh, well, once I'm done with them or once we're yeah. done being friends or once we're done dating, they cease to exist or whatever is happening. Yeah. And then you realize like nah. your reputation is actually the thing that you're cultivating today. Right. You know, like you think, especially with school, you could have a bad rep at one school, go to another school and reinvent yourself. But once you start becoming more of an adult and accruing that data behind you, you just realize like people are going to remain friends with who they want to remain friends with, or they're going to date people they want to date. And yeah. You know, so for me, words have begun to mean less than like the intention behind them. Um, cause you can really say anything and it's like, yeah, you and I can have a disagreement, but if I'm still coming toward you and respecting your opinion and, uh, just expressing mine, then, uh, I don't see any issue with that. But yeah, that's something that I just had to learn over the years. Um, so I don't know. What about you? What's uh, something that you wish you could go back to your 20-year-old self? I mean, it's not a huge burden on my heart to deliver the message just because, you know, it, it would have fallen on deaf ears anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have listened, right? I really have to form my own testimony and learn my own lesson for myself, um, regardless I'm, of what I'm the same way. You know, the resources manual says about it. But um, I, I was uh, kind of short on my answer, too. Um, I do have one story to illustrate it, but... I wrote, this only happens once. Stop waiting to live your best and full life until you've, quote unquote, made it. Made it from the bad old days to the good <laughs> old days. Uh, these years will never happen again. That trip with friends will never happen again in that same way, shape, and fashion. Um, recently, Sierra was in town. I don't know if I shared this on the podcast or if it was just a heart-to-heart a heart -heart that I was having with her. But we often have to go back and remind each other. because 
we just feel like we've been friends for a couple of years because mm-hmm. we met after college. And so w- when we go back and do the math, it's like, oh, wow, we've all been really tight friends for like seven, eight years now. Yeah. Like, wow. Oh, goodness. Like you, you forget about your flipping in your early 20s. At least I was about, you know, I'd come from, uh, you know, a nice middle class family that had always prioritized travel as mm-hmm. part of its, you know, discretionary spending. So I was always traveling as a kid, always skiing, doing all this stuff. You know, I didn't live in the Taj Mahal all growing up, um, but we 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 had a really nice upbringing mm-hmm. um, from all of these different perspectives. And then you go into college and, you know, go to Italy on honors trip and do all of these different vacations. And then you come out and I immediately was going to D.C. for work to these parties that where they were just making you drink Kool-Aid for the company. Mm-hmm. And um, you go on trips with friends. And you just think like, I'm always going to do this. Yeah. And this was something that Sierra and I kind of shared with each other was that I I forgot that she had come to like four or five consecutive New Year's throughout our early 20s. And we had all gone to Europe together. That was the real mm-hmm. kind of that. that's the trip that I will. It's crazy now that I'm 30. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm never going to get my 20s back. And so when I think about it, that is definitely probably the standout trip from my 20s with friends was going and spending two weeks in London, Amsterdam and Paris with, you know, uh, Shelly and um, Grizz and John and all those all those people. Um, What I what I realized and what I told Sierra was that that was once in a lifetime. And and part of it is just because some of the friends are settling down and they're, you know, getting married. And so like some of these trips in the same exact format that they were occurring originally, they're just never going to happen again. And so I was just telling Sierra, like, wow, like I wouldn't go back and redo anything on any of the trips. But at the same time, it's like, sometimes I like to stop and remind myself now at 30, this might be the only time that you do this with these people like this. Yeah. Something I said to Meredith on our ski trip, I was like, we may never all be here together in Red River skiing in this fashion again in our lives. Like there's because Meredith and I hadn't gone skiing in Red River or together at all. Well, we hadn't been skiing in Red River together. Oh, I'm sorry. No, at all in 15 years and wow. in Red River in 20. Yeah. So, I mean, just wild stuff. Um, so that, that was my kind of going back to your John Mayer uh, train song. Yeah, dude. Like it does pass you by and it's not don't necessarily alter your behavior, but by me incorporating meditation and trying to take some paused mindfulness at different times. Um, I like to just remind myself like we were skiing and I went down a different slope and like stopped around a corner and just kind of, you know, shook my head and was like, this is an experience you're having right now. Like you're on a mountain, you're with your family. This may never happen quite like this again. Yeah. And this is that moment you're, you're in that moment. It's beautiful. And I just have to tell myself that sometimes because, you know, we're, we're just so we brought up with so much media where it's like you feel like the only felt like sometimes the only like life altering experience I could ever have is if I'm at the peak of a mountain and there's all the cameras like flying <laughs> around me, giving yeah. like the 360 view. Yeah. Um, because it, it felt like outside validation or expectations were what made you have that moment and everything is between your two ears. Yeah. Can I share some lyrics from that song? Stop, stop this train. You can sing the whole song. I'm not going to sing it, but you know, this whole time he's saying he wants to stop this train. And then he, and then he talks about this conversation with his dad 
And he says, I had a talk with my old man. I said, help me understand. He said, turn 68, you'll renegotiate. Don't stop this train. Don't for a minute change the place you're in. And don't think I could never understand. I've tried my hand. John will never stop this train. And it's just like appreciating those moments and, and living in them. And, you know, it's okay to reflect, but also like live in the now and appreciate this moment. Cause like you said, like you're never going to have this moment again. Um, so I think that's a beautiful story that you shared. Let's lighten this podcast up a little bit. Jeez, like I'm going to start crying yeah, and Kleenex are sold out everywhere, I'm sure. Yeah, if, um, I, if I were with anyone else, I probably would have cried by now. I'll come record alone later and cry. Uh, all right, question number four. What's the job you've had that no listener would expect you to have had? One summer. One summer? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was like, is that a brand? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. One summer, uh, I sold roofs in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude, that was forever ago. I forgot about that. What yeah, the, was man. that about? <laughs> um, we had a high school friend who wanted to hire us for cheap because he ended up being a shady dude. <laughs> and um, so he like rented out a hotel room for like me. You remember Walter Aguirre? Yeah. Uh, Garrett Metz. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And I think, I think Alec might've been involved. There were a few of us that like went and then <laughs> Alec he sent, bailed the first day. And then, well, he, uh, the guy that we worked for sent some of them back and like, they just worked back here in Texas. But some of us were chosen <laughs> to stay in Oklahoma and I ended up um, selling the first roof in our group and uh, I had some more leads and, you know, they told me to come back and, you know, they were ready to, to buy it as well because um, we, we would actually like chase these storms, right? Like it would be hailing hard. And instead of running into our houses, like we, we would, we would knock on the doors and be like, Hey, can't help but notice like your roof's getting damaged. It's hailing. We can come back by tomorrow and check it out for you if you'd like. And, you know, we a few people were like, no, they didn't want to, we didn't look that professional because we were so young and baby faced. Um, but some of them did bite and we would come up and I'd, you know, measure them, give them the, the price of how much it would cost to get new shingles in. We wouldn't install them. Um, we would just kind of be the middleman. And anyway, I had driven back home because I was dating this girl at a time. Uh, this was my first year in college and she was graduating high school and uh, <laughs> it's always been a theme with you yeah I was, that was one year apart dude. <laughs> oh yeah much better than okay <laughs> ow oh. ow that carson dropped the microphone on himself don't Sorry, abuse guys. me um anyway treat me i like had driven back home to texas and i text my boss and um i was like hey what time do you need me back in tomorrow and he said we have normal work for you you can turn in your notes and your leads um into the office and they hadn't even paid me my first commission check so i threw away my notebook like they're not going to get my business like I, I really was about to sell at least two more roofs and uh so basically what happened was they finally paid me because i kept hounding them about it they paid me a cut of it and then Garrett sold a roof and got fired. And then one other person sold a roof and got <laughs> fired. And it's like, they the only reason they did that is because once we sold a roof, they were trying to take our commission. Ah. Yeah. So you were only as good as your first sale with that Apparently, company. But That's wild. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, man. Shady. That's wild. Yeah. 
man, I've had so many jobs in my lifetime that I, I had to like really think and prioritize, like, <laughs> which one do I share? Yeah. And I, I feel like I've shared several on the podcast from, you know, mowing lawns as a kid to uh, the radio uh, station in college. Mm-hmm. I've told those stories. Um, but I actually had this job twice because I would go and do this during the winter. I have shared this, but I had America's best first job at McDonald's mm. twice. And it was a, it was a good gig. Yeah. Like I eat there to this day because <laughs> the cleanliness standards are really good people. And like, <laughs> are they, I love McDonald's. Like I'll, I'll still eat McDonald's to this day. I've always enjoyed McDonald's. Um, so sue me, but I worked there twice. I worked at a really, I think it was like a top five store hmm. in the nation type. Like, I think our manager had won like the Ray Kroc award type deal. Oh, wow. So she ran a tight, a really tight ship, but there was a, a college bowl game that she and I had made a bet on that I lost the bet. And the punishment was that I was going to have to be the Hamburglar <laughs> <laughs> and they were going to dress me up in the Hamburglar. Like I was oh, going to be the, wow. the creepy mascot guy. That's amazing. And they were going to stick me out in front of the store <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And so I lost and I had money on it. Like I, I had all this stuff on it, but I lost my pride because, um, Regina was my manager's name and she was going to make me pay up on, you know, my debt there. Yeah. What I didn't realize was going to happen was that my parents and sister were going to tell everyone at church, <laughs> they were going to put up flyers in the neighborhood, <laughs> Carson's playing as the Hamburglar <laughs> Sunday morning. So there was a line out the door of people I knew waiting to pose for photographs with me as the Hamburglar. Where are these pictures? Thankfully, these are in the 2005, 2006 era. So it was still all digital cameras, like no phones. You know how we don't really have pictures? (laughs) Like if I asked you to go easily fetch a picture from 2007, it would be be difficult. You'd have to call your mom or something, you know? call an ex like do you still is this still in your yeah. role like yeah can you cut me out do you remember that box that used to plug into your computer and it would upload those blurry right. jpegs <laughs> um so yeah that's incredible uh jan or bob or meredith if any of you have this picture please <laughs> don't please 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 don't i shouldn't have mentioned it there's one with me and my buddy i grew up next to this kid named will watkins and he was uh 6 <laughs> So I was 5'3", yeah. you know, 5'5 five, five at the time. So even in the Hamburglar mascot suit with the elevated hat and the big, you know, stuck on head, he still towered over me in these photos. Yeah. Anyway, good times. That's that's great. America's best first job. I was going through the drive-thru the other night and uh, this, this lady like charged out of nowhere to get out of the line. And the guy at the window was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, people are crazy in these lines, huh? <laughs> I was like, I used to work here. <laughs> It used to be one of you. <laughs> That's not exactly how I said that, but That's how you thought it. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. I thought I was having a man of the people moment. Okay. Got it. All right. <laughs> Number 5, if you had to host one of the one of the game shows, love how I put that. I just mean from any time anywhere. Yeah. One of the game shows for the rest of your life. If you have to pull a what's his name, Alex Trebek? Yeah, and I mentioned him in which, this. Which which one would it be? So, I would definitely host the Shazam game show. Oh, I saw that when I Wikipedia yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like where the contestants have to guess what song's playing. So I would always get my fill of of music, which, 
you know, if I'm doing it for the rest of my life, that that would be fine. Um, Jeopardy is my favorite game show, but there's no way I could ever replace Alex Trebek. Um, he's just a gem. I, I love that guy. And then Wheel of Fortune is my second favorite, but that seems like it would be a boring show to host. I hope you did not pick that. No, 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 okay. <laughs> no. I, apparently, I base my criterion on picking a show much differently than you do. Oh, is this like a <laughs> how much you got paid? Or what? <laughs> well, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all part of the package, baby. Uh, if I have to do this for life, money is no like money doesn't matter. Listen, you can make a little bit less money if you get a sexy set with a big old live audience and a bunch of beautiful women running around you. Deal or no deal? Deal or no deal. Baby. Ah, smart. Mr. Howie Mandel. Because, <laughs> I, first of all, that yeah. was, there was a lot of drama in that game show. There was. Like, it, it was, it wasn't your typical 30 minute 6 to 6.30 thing before the local news comes on. Yeah. Like a Jeopardy or something like that. Right. Like, it, it had a lot more uh, creative direction in terms of the set, the yeah. lights. Like, it, it was almost reminiscent of who wants to be a millionaire That's I was starting. Man, in that hot seat, primetime television, baby. Dude, that was the big thing back then. Yes. I used to love watching Regis. I wish it was still as popular like that. But now they don't. I watch an episode. They don't even have a chair anymore. You just stand at a podium. Well, it's only a million dollars. Like, remember when that used to be like the big jackpot? Yeah. And now we're like, eh. <laughs> that's it? That's it. Uh, pass. <laughs> but yeah, uh, deal or no deal, man. Deal or I no deal. I see you doing that. Just because I love all those girls walking up the ledge with those briefcases. And then yeah. I love the drama of, I don't even actually remember what happens. Like, what? So, the um, each suitcase has a different uh, price. And then you say a number and that price is shown and like they take that box away so like That's let's say right. you say number five and then that holds the million it's dollars such a simple format where your your personality as a host gets to come out yeah. you're surrounded by beautiful women you're on prime time like hour-long television well compensated major network big it's like being it's like being a late night show host if it was a game show a little yeah. bit so i went with the more irreverent uh, hopefully lucrative and eye candy filled pick yeah. uh, there. So is America's Got Talent considered a game show? Yeah, uh, that would be fun too. W- wouldn't they? What What would the Emmy category be like? Um, it would be a variety show. Yeah. Okay. Probably because Howie Mandel's in that, but you know, so is Heidi Klum, and that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, wasn't Mel B on that at some point? Yeah, I, I'm a fan of hers. Yeah. Which spice was she? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Scary spice. I don't know. Okay. Melby. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. She's a looker. Um, okay, so deal or no deal. If you had to, I know the answer to this one. If you had yeah. to listen to one podcast other than ours for the rest of your life, which would it be? So, what did you think I was going to say? I mean, it could be Joe Budden. No. Okay. Beautiful stories from anonymous people. Chris Gethard. Oh, wow. Yeah, like I talked about from question Chris number one. Is winning the episode. Um, again, because it's a, it's not as repetitive like i mean i'm here for the jokes and the music for joe budden but um beautiful stories from anonymous people is a new story each episode Uh, one episode there's like a federal prison inmate calling in 15 minutes at a time throughout the hour because the the call is disconnected every 15 minutes then you have a mother who just lost her five-year-old to cancer you have two truckers on their way to the next assignment um an individual who made their way out of a cult. Uh, there's there's like so much variety, and I just find those stories fascinating. Um, 
even if you know they just range on a craziness scale from like zero to ten but i always find it entertaining and it's cool to see different walks of life like that i'm gonna have to check that out for sure that's an interesting variety podcast show in that you don't have to get a-list celebrities on the show to draw an audience you just have to get people in extreme circumstances or from different walks of life to illustrate and sometimes you know it's just you know funny people just kind of joking around and like you don't make much headway but it's still entertainment so mine is right down the middle what you might expect joe rogan experience i feel like he also delivers um shades of that in that he'll have on you know um robert downey jr and then the next day he'll have on a presidential candidate and then the next day he'll have on an obscure scientist that was at area 51 mm-hmm. like i mean what a what a privilege to get to sit down with these people like yeah. he gets to go in late night and smoke a blunt with Elon Musk like who does that right. like only him <laughs> yeah only him literally yeah, that's true so anyway uh rogan question 7 if you could see one stand up comic perform which one would it be so I've kind of I've seen some of my favorites. I've already seen John Mulaney. I've seen Tom Segura. I saw him with you. Yes, you did. And then we both we both have seen Tom Segura. No. Oh, you haven't. I, Tom is top of my list. Like Tom is probably my favorite active comedian mm-hmm. in many ways, or top five. Yeah. But I've never seen him. Okay. And so I am between two. Um, I'm. I'd either rather see Theo Vaughn. Um, just because I think he's like really funny off the cuff. I think, you know, he does a lot of, he seems like he would be great at like crowd work and, uh, just getting us involved or Dave Chappelle. Um, right on. I haven't seen him and I, I think he's just a brilliant, brilliant comedian. Um, so yeah, it'd be between one of them. Well, for sure. Um, I also structured this from somebody that I have not seen. Yeah. Um, I actually have seen Dave Chappelle in a weird fluke. Um, oh. John and I went to the House of Blues standing room only back in the day to see Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Um, you had to buy the tickets like the minute they came out. And I just so happened to see an ad and like be right there, right as Ticketmaster went live. And um, it was not it was not the way to ingest a comedy show standing, standing up. Um, yeah. It was very cr- like this was right when he was really starting to make the rounds after, okay. you know, coming back. Yeah, and all Chappelle this stuff. Show. Oh, and, so after he came back from Chappelle I mean, this show. was like early 2010s okay gotcha like very early like 2011 yeah um so anyway uh but he was he was so funny um he he comes out and he's like you know sorry to show up a little disheveled and to be drunk at work (laughs) y'all dude do you remember when we saw john mulaney and he had the flu and was like laying down on stage the whole time didn't he have like a an echinacea bottle or airborne airborne? yeah dude he was really going miserable like Uh, he was a champ for still making jokes out of it but however that also has informed my comedy experience um in my life in that the majestic theater where we saw John Mulaney is the single greatest location to take yeah, in a stand-up show it's ever. Wonderful, wonderful. The the slight dip in the mm-hmm. the seats; those seats were so comfy. It's a true show hall yeah. and intimate at the same time. Like one of the reasons why I would never go see a Rogan or half of the guys that have made it so big at this point, or even a Chappelle, mm-hmm. if they're at AAC, no, nope, no, I'll catch it on TV. Yep, might as no, well watch no YouTube. No point in going. Yep. It has to be a more intimate. less than 2,000 people in my yep. book for it to work. I so, agree. but I've, I've been very blessed in who I've seen live. I've seen 
Nick DiPaolo. I've seen Ralphie May. Hey. I saw Ralphie May in Timonium. He passed away, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was once in a lifetime. Um, I've seen Amy Schumer, Anthony Jeselnik, Jeff Ross, Dave Chappelle, um, uh, Ari Shafir. I've seen, um, there's a, who I saw Screech, <laughs> saw, um, I'm trying to think about who else. I've seen a lot of the big ones, but the yeah. one that is a, a standout for me and somebody that I would love to see before I die is Louis C.K. Okay. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever he comes to the improv, um, people always have like inside information and the tickets are immediately gone. Yeah. So if you hear about it secondhand or after the fact, too late. it's way too late. But yeah, he's, he would definitely be top yeah. of my list. I think he's one of the most talented comedians of all time. No doubt. In the hall of fame. So, and I, th- I think that he's going to come back, you know, yeah. at some point. Like, he's already been touring. He's already been doing his thing. I think that he's going to come back in a major way. And I think he's going to experience a lot of support. Nice. So, all right, number eight, if you could only use one social media platform for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Hashtag Twitter, baby. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah, man, I would delete Facebook and Instagram this second if I had to. Um, yeah, I just wrote Twitter <laughs> is greater than Instagram because I was like, ah, this is difficult. But... Instagram, you don't even see your friends anymore. Like, I just yeah. see the meme pages that I follow. Yeah, in NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I liked their pictures more than my friends' pictures back then, and now the algorithms don't even show my loved ones' pictures. Yeah, I always assume that only five people have posted stories because that's all that fits across yeah. the top of the page. So sometimes I scroll through there, and I'm like, oh, there's like hundreds of stories yeah. available that I it would take forever. Like, does anybody ever actually go through the entire feed? Yeah. I'm sure that there's some people, but. That would just be an all-day affair. Mm-hmm. That you'd have to be on it all day long for your network. Yeah. You remember how we brought up, or I brought up, um, I guess two episodes ago, that they that Twitter was adding like a stories, and they called it Fleet. Yeah, I will say that the naming is more clever. Like I didn't catch on at first, but you know, because we call them tweets, and so this is a momentary one, so it's called like a fleet, like a fleeting thought. Mm. I thought the naming was better than I had given it credit for. Um, still not really hooked on the idea of having tweets that only last 24 hours, but I'll give them props for the name. I don't know. Like There are certain things that I, I would like to be able to comment on. Like um, Heston tweeted earlier this kind of cryptic thing about if you yell at someone's wife, they're going to get up in your face. Like, yeah. And, and I, I was like, what in the world happened? But at the same time, when a certain type of person is evaluating my online presence, you know, that, you don't want that, that tweet doesn't need to be visible to everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay. There would be some, some feedback loops and some conversations, tweets and replies, especially mm-hmm. that I would like to fleet, you know? Yeah. So there's, I'm on board again. I'm actually going to report back on Twitter. So my answer is also Twitter. Okay. I figure you can pretty much access Instagram through Twitter almost yeah. like you, cause you can post pictures if you want to. Yep. And some people do. Um, and they actually have far less like uh, adult nature um, yeah. configuration. Like you can post pornography on Twitter. Like it's insane. Mm, yeah. Whereas Instagram's uh, guidelines are much more stringent. I don't say that in that that's what I'm searching for. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that in terms of you can you can share photos and you can share more graphic photos. Like some of the most graphic things that I've seen from like a, a terrorism standpoint mm-hmm. or, you know, when... Um, 
when people get a uh, a rental truck and they plowed through Barcelona, for instance, yeah. the most vivid video that you can get of that kind of thing is actually on Twitter. Probably, yeah. So it's just the full kitchen sink, I guess. <laughs> but I want to report back when you come back from vacation on our next podcast about Twitter because they they just got a billion dollar investment from Silver Lake Partners, which is hmm. one of the largest, you know, PEVC firms, you know, created and with that came multiple board seats and they're appointing another independent board seat and they're over specific initiatives hmm. but this fleet thing isn't just a siloed update or you know right. change that's coming at twitter like they're they're bringing in more support i think that they're seeing it as a it's almost been reactivated by trump in some ways hmm. like just the way that to really be up on political news which became mainstream news starting in 2015 <laughs> right um you had to be on twitter it really i don't know if it had a resurgence per se but it's never been more relevant yeah. and people's view of it as a public utility almost um you know I, i'm not sure what silver lake's intentions are with this but there's a larger strategic play happening for them and in the market as a whole that's um, interesting that's crazy speaking of uh real quick side note um, speaking of Twitter and getting banned and different things that you can say or can't say, do you see that Alex Jones got arrested for like DWI dispute something? I saw him trending, but I didn't see yeah. it before. He got picked up by the police. Um, not sure if his wife called it in or if he was DWI or what happened, but dang, that guy you get deplatformed and his whole thing went out, <laughs> you know, when YouTube and Twitter banned him, they took away his, his revenue. Yeah. You know, anyway. Okay. If you could be a cop or a fireman, which one would you be? A cop. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, for sure. Suffocating and smoke. I, I wrote down suffocating and smoke is a bigger fear than breaking up petty thefts. <laughs> Yeah, because that's all cops do. No, I know. That's no, I definitely I, downplaying it. I said a cop too, though, because I feel like there would be more variety in terms of overall calls. Yeah. Um, part of that is bad. It's part of what Chief Brown yeah. was saying in the wake of the Dallas shootings was that cops are called on to do too much, from like yeah. mental health and conflict resolution to petty theft and you know real first responder activities. Yeah, you know, my mom was a cop. Briefly. No way. Yep. I didn't know that. Briefly, yeah. Nice. I think it would be, it's something that I would think that I would actually probably enjoy yeah. to a certain extent. Like no two days are ever the same. You're always out and about on the go. Yeah, for sure. Interacting with different people. Um, you get a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like the physical training, stamina and physique of a firefighter yeah. because those, those restrictions or those guidelines are stringent yeah. for what they have to be able to do. Yep. Those guys are supermen among us, but I also like a cop schedule more. Mm -hmm. Like I have a buddy that I grew up with that uh, I was having lunch with a, a mutual buddy of ours the other day. And I was asking about prior said buddy's <laughs> schedule as a fireman. And he said, yeah, it's a uh, one day on two days off. So you go to the firehouse for 24 hours mm -hmm. and you'll sleep there if there's no calls. Right. And um, like, that's the second home. And I was like, okay, so one day on, two days off. Well, how long does that go for in this cycle? Like, what does the calendar look like? And he was like, oh, no, it's just one day off, two, two days, days on. Wait, yeah. one, two days off. One day on. One day on. I think it was that way. Okay. 
um, forever, <laughs> just for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I couldn't quite grasp that because, you know, it's a public service. It's a utility that you're always going to have that need. And all of the jobs that I've ever had, like there was a clear goal, yeah. you know, it was like, sell that thing, sell this company, get this company funded. You know, there was always a milestone where it was like, okay, yeah. this chapter's closed. And with that kind of thing, there never is true. It's just crazy. Wild. Um, okay. Ooh, we're getting a little bit more fun now. Blondes or brunettes? Are we getting more fun? Because I said whatever color my girlfriend's hair is at the time of listening to this episode. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, we're just commenting on you're you're falling in love. You're not going blind. Yeah, I guess uh, my track record, I've dated more brunettes. Yeah, yep, for sure. Same here. Um, my answer was both, but really brunettes till they're 30 and then blondes. <laughs> <laughs> That's... The, the older, I find like the most, um, the most intriguing older women to me at this point are blondes. It feels mm. like it's really weird. Interesting. I feel like I'm evolving into more of a blondes person at times, but really, no, it's kind of a mix. It's like a dirty, it's more of a brunette. Mm. It's definitely more of a brunette. Yeah. Typically. Like a little mix. Get yeah. some highlights up in there. Yeah. You know, or just change it up all the time. Like, I don't know. <laughs> get a wig (laughs) do whatever yeah yeah they probably uh learned more about us from that question than we wanted them to but i'm equal opportunity i mean you could be a you could be a red bone baby (laughs) you could be have green hair you could have red hair yeah um there's some you know firecracker redheads out there isla fisher she's Mm -hmm. a very beautiful woman Absolutely. Um, can't think of any other redheads that are beautiful, but oh, if you, if you yeah, can. Yeah. And if you say Julianne Moore, I'll wring your neck and end this podcast right now. Why is that? I'll pull the pull the cord out because What's... she is overrated and not hot. She's pretty. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel like that. <laughs> I don't know. Tots, weigh in. Tweet. We'll put up a poll and be like, yeah. is Julianne Moore <laughs> attractive enough <laughs> to get the laud lauding that she does <laughs> i think it's misappropriated is all i'm saying i don't oh, think no. that she's a head turner like we think she is okay that's what i'm arguing she's not uh, repulsive but <laughs> i'm just no, saying i think she's pretty okay really yeah or is she just there <laughs> you know well if you had asked me like which celebrity I'm most attracted to, I don't know if she would have ever come up. Ever. But, ever. You but, could have killed every other actress I don't, in Hollywood. I don't think she's also like an A-list celebrity anymore. I don't I think she's getting the appropriate I mean, she's amount a of attention. Leading woman for the last 10, 20 years. Is that appropriate? Yeah. <laughs> so they just have to be hot in order for them to be a leading no, woman? No, that's wow. not sexist. true. That's not true. Or not sexist, I guess. Here, here's what I am saying. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying that this is the way that it should be, but for the last 20 years in Hollywood, were most leading women like not known for their looks as well as their acting capabilities? You tell me Anne Hathaway sitting on the back of the Batmobile in that leather suit. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, she's a great actress. Like the, a lot of this goes for men too. Do you think Daniel Craig becomes Bond if he's busted? No, and I'm, no. I'm mad that they're pushing that movie. We're back. now in an era where, you know, a leading woman can be Ellen Page um, in, in a Juno, and you can fall in love with her for reasons other than the fact that, you know, or like her body, for instance. Yeah. Like, she's a quirky, funny individual. 
you know, mm -hmm. so that that has become more mainstream. But historically, I'm saying, what's going on with Julianne Moore getting <laughs> this undue credit? <laughs> How do you feel about Amy Adams? Oh, man. <sighs> she is difficult. Um <laughs> Because sometimes I'm like, throw her in there with Julianne. But then other times I'm Whoa. like, no, Amy. <laughs> All right. Like when she was in that Mark Wahlberg Boston boxer movie. Yeah. And she's like, you need to get back Fighter. in here. Like, I don't know. Like, she can be hot. Okay. She also had an accent. So uh, I think it was. Maybe it was Isla Fisher who was in The Great Gatsby with Leo. Um, I can't remember this point. I don't know. One of them had a New York accent too. Uh, what do you think about Jessica Chastain? Oh yeah. I like her. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just like that yeah. name. Yeah. Jessica name. Chastain. That's a great name. That's such a strong, sexy name. Yeah. She's a wonderful actress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like her, her acting. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to throw a couple out there and now no, I, I, appreciate now I it. know what you're looking for in redheads. <laughs> which is what when i'm looking for in all women <laughs> yeah, has nothing to do with her face <laughs> <laughs> wait no, no i beg to differ i'm just kidding i beg to differ it, it has joke. to do with bone structure you, yeah. you sitting here telling me jessica chastain is the same bone structure as julianne moore i'm totally teasing man. i i beg to differ <laughs> and again i'm not saying <laughs> that she's way up on the scale i'm just saying you know she's pretty and and that's that. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Next question. Wow. I hope that I didn't reveal any sub subliminal sexism in my life or anything. But all I'm saying is that historically Hollywood has been biased towards the beautiful, both yeah. men and women. And sometimes I don't buy that Julianne Moore can pull the leading man that she's currently pulling. That's all I'm saying. However, you throw like, I don't know, you throw an Anne Hathaway in there. You throw a... Uh, who else is hot? <laughs> I, I don't see movies anymore. Yeah, you know, know one of one of the girls. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're really promoting the no, we're not sexist <laughs> conversation. One of the girls. No, just one of them. You know. Um, I mean, Meghan Markle. Goodness gracious! Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, we're both on our third car, as yeah. we found out on the last podcast. So shout out to us. We're due for our dream car at some point. Mm. What's your dream car if money were no issue based on your projected lifestyle overall? Yeah, so that's I was thinking about lifestyle. I don't really care about super fast cars or anything like that. And I did bring up this company a couple episodes ago, Rivian. Oh, who's wow. It's going to be the competitor against Tesla. And so I put down the Rivian um, R1S, which is their SUV. Um, and it just looks amazing and it's great for travel um eco-friendly and uh yeah so that's what i would take we both must be big old boys that don't want to get that into little cars <laughs> dude not at all i'm an suv man myself my, yeah my head better not be touching the roof so i put um i put two cars but it just really illustrates that whatever is in this general vein will do <laughs> <laughs> um i would love a porsche cayenne that's the SUV, right? Yeah. I love those dual exhaust, like blacked out SUVs yeah. from Porsche. Um, or I had a Cadillac XT4 the other day. I believe it was an XT4. Mm -hmm. their, their compact SUV, um, just any of those. I could do a G-Series, a G-Wagon. Yeah. Um, that's probably the most douchey. Um, G-Wagon, G-Wagon. G-Wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's it's always going to be a G wagon, you know. But right. Maserati has an SUV. Bentley has an SUV. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not hot on the Bentley SUVs. No. For a long time, my dream car was a Bentley Continental GT Coupe. Yeah, I've I've never been interested in Bentleys, but, but now that's I'm, me. You know, on the other hand, I would love like a, a Ford Raptor all tricked out or mm, some yeah. sort of souped up Toyota 4Runner or Tacoma or something. Ford Raptors are nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the new Cybertruck would be fun. Yeah. Just watch out for the windows. Yeah. Um. So anyway, we'll report back on that yeah. <laughs> as we get our... Yeah. Give us a little time. You know, when we'll, we start doing we'll pre-roll, um, yeah. pre-roll ads, <laughs> That's right. we'll be getting these vehicles. Yeah. All right. Number 12, we're nearing the end of our list here. If you could be a professional athlete, which sport and, if appropriate, even which team? Okay, so my first question, like I have a question for this question. Am I automatically like a baller at this sport? Like am I naturally good at it or am I just like playing it? That's a good distinction. Um, You know, my answer would be the same regardless, but let's do both. Okay, so if I was really good at this sport, man, I would want to play hockey for the Dallas Stars. Okay. Yeah. Like I as a scorer, hockey. like you'd want to be the guy with yeah. all the goals and I want to be the scorer. I also want to be like one of the Bash brothers just like knocking somebody into the stands, like in- back into their um little bench <laughs> like <laughs> I, yeah i want to like find me in that penalty box bro <laughs> once the penalty's so you up i'm be back the out. bad boy of dallas hockey yeah i mean Got i'm it. settling for the bad boy of podcasting but, <laughs> but uh bad boy of the dallas stars yeah i would love to interesting that was that was a dream of mine back when madonna madonna was everything and madonna was good looking and i'm as a child, I was only able to emulate those who I felt were good looking for yeah. some reason. <laughs> and I just thought Mike Madonna was beautiful and a staple, like mm. just a Dallas icon Yeah, and dating actresses. And he had it going on. Um, but that's um, really interesting. And so if I had to go for one where I just like walk into it today and like poker's a sport, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to do anything taxing on my body. Interesting. So. If you could be the superstar, you would choose the NHL. Oh yeah, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, man, I love hockey. That's wild. That I'm learning things about you in some ways because I wouldn't have known that per se. Probably not. No, I don't think most people would. Interesting. The show format is paying off. Mm. Okay, so I said, well, I guess. <laughs> so I clarified my status <laughs> within the league, <laughs> just to let you know, I didn't choose a team, but. I said exempt full time player on the PGA tour, of course. Yeah. So I would have won I would have wanted to have won a couple of tournaments, have full exemption, have full access <laughs> to the masters, all of the majors, of course. And also be you know, a leading contender for Ryder Cup, eligibility, and President's Cup. Mm. But even if I was listen, if I could qualify for like the Corn Ferry Tour today, I, I would. Yeah. You know, like wherever you can go and like make money playing golf would be incredible but just there's something about golf that i relate to from the measurement of improvement standpoint where you're always just battling yourself and technology and the elements and others but there's so many more facets that have to make you a well well-rounded person and part of the way that i could be successful is by being a brand representer like you know there's some guys are more out there like think about Phil Mickelson and how many endorsements he has and the 
he can come out in the Mizzen and Main commercial and dance, yeah. avoiding the golf balls. But then he can also be the leading face for KPMG for a generation right. because he's credible with those people. And by the way, he's won almost $100 million just on the tour. That's wild. So you don't have to win the tournament to make a bunch of money. Yeah. If you make the cut, the weekend is more than paid for. If you're top 10, you might be walking away with a couple hundred thousand a weekend. Mm. So it's a lucrative sport for sure. True. Um, they had an example of one guy the other day who was like 40, and he'd only won three tournaments in his entire PGA Tour career. Um, and he'd been playing. He was kind of a no-name, honestly, just a middle-of-the-pack PGA Tour player. And over the last 20 years, he'd made $40 million. Whoa. <laughs> so it pays to be subpar on tour. Man. So that's what I would do, struggling or not. Okay. This is the last pre-structured question, and then we'll open it up for Q and A. I'd rather end it on a on this note. Okay. Yeah. What's one of the biggest fears you have when thinking about the entirety of your life? Yeah. Like, let's end on a more poignant type of question. Okay. So, my biggest fear, or one of my biggest fears, um, is that. The actions that I take are for not. Um, like, for instance, um, if I wasn't there for someone who needed me, like I'm a huge advocate for checking in on your friends and making sure your loved ones are okay. And um, all of my friends know that. Like, I feel like if you're a close person to me, like you're somebody that I say I love you to often um, as much as I can. And, um, like I'm, I, I tend to either call or check in and just see how you're doing. Um, so I think it would suck to like accidentally let, um, especially because all of my friends know that I do tend to check in, it would really suck to accidentally have like a loved one slip through the cracks and not be there for them. Um, I also think there's like an added pressure when you openly talk about telling everyone you love them because then it's sometimes expected or someone might feel less important because you didn't reach out to them. Um, and so it's something that I think about all the time. Like I, I don't even remember which question it was, but I, uh, I was saying that um, I'm always aware of what I'm saying and, or, and I'm always thinking about my actions. And so it's one thing to like be uh, be an advocate and, and remind people to tell your friends that you love them while while they're still around and while you still can, but then to not be able to come through for everyone, um, that's like heartbreaking to me because I want to be there for everybody, but you can't possibly be there for everyone, and especially like with my students, you know, I want to be there for all of my students, and then I have students from. 2014 that have graduated and I'm not as in touch with them as I would like to be. Um, and I'm currently in the lives of the students that I have now. And I'm not saying that every single person in my life needs me to be there for them. Um, but I do know that we all deal with certain struggles that um, maybe we've confided into individuals that are now no longer in our lives and we wish we still were able to maintain those relationships. And whenever you're really trying to cultivate that and make that a huge part of your life, then like, where does it end? And how do you make sure that you have enough energy to give good advice or be a listening ear 
Um, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm terrified of not being able to, uh, make as big of a difference as I want to. You're so noble, even in your biggest fears, you're still concerned about others predominantly. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I, I benefit from all of those relationships too. And the I'm not going to say like it's 100% selfless because I get satisfaction from being there for others and knowing that people are there for me too. So I'm not going to say I'm completely selfless in that. Like I gain from it too. Interesting. Yeah. It's uh, I've, I've been, I've had concerns uh, about you in certain respects, especially with, to do with the students when you were probably about two or three months ago probably uh, the high point of basketball season and teaching and full swing of maybe fall semester. I was concerned because we couldn't go to dinner after the show without you getting texts from students and, um, or having to run off to a basketball game. And, you know, they weren't starting until, you know, 10. Then you had to, you know, be up at 5 a.m. for early worship with the staff. And I just thought, this isn't a scalable effort. Like, I hope that he's able to block off time for himself and his own endeavors and whatnot. But we also have different careers in that you get paid to do something that you can point to in the afterlife as having been shaping and molding over young people and the next generation of either you can skin it. However, for whatever demographic or audience, you know, next yeah. generation of voters, <laughs> next generation of God's children, you know, like yeah. you can, it's like the you're workforce. You're doing one of the age old tradition like traditions in terms of a job, uh, you know, a calling yeah. you're teaching young people, um, in a variety of like how to survive in this world. And I know that you're incorporating religious aspects of that for mm -hmm. the afterlife. Yeah. So, you know, my job is like, my job has nothing to do with the afterlife in many ways. Um, my answer is, I feel like a little bit more self-absorbed, but really it's, I just wrote, so what's one of the biggest fears you have when thinking about the entirety of your life? I just wrote, what really matters? Am I gunning for something that I'll actually feel on my deathbed? Was it all just the totality of positive versus negative experiences that will color what a life well lived looks like? And, you know, ultimately, what's the balance of living for today versus living for tomorrow and the afterlife? Like, mm. you know you have to plan for so many different things because we were raised that, you know, if somebody's going to malign you for your faith or want to persecute you or kill you for that, you're going to die, yeah. you know, because faith comes first. And then at the same time, you better not bring home anything less than a 90 on that math test because you need to get into that college. Well, why? What does yeah. that have to do with the afterlife? Like I'm juggling so many different priorities yeah. and dimensions like depths to my behavior and my outlook on different things. So it's like, okay, I need to be successful in school and college and get a good job and make good money. That's an expectation. I got to live as though there were an afterlife and that I would qualify for the afterlife in terms of my actions towards others and my acceptance and all of that. Um, but then what if I'm doing all of that and I'm not happy because I'm not doing things that I actually want to do? Like some of this, some of like walking with the Lord will make you happy and stuff that that plays to a certain extent. But if you have a job that you hate, you're not going to be all the way happy. Yeah. You got to be for me in certain ways. I've resigned myself happily to the fact that 
happiness for me can be progress towards goals and milestones that I've set up that I've deemed worthy of my time. Mm. So, you know, it's worthwhile to put in a lot of hours at work because we're building something there. And I now more than ever know that, you know, I, whether I'm there for, you know, it's like what they say, like whether you're there for a year or 10 years, like operate, like that's the job that they're going to make the documentary about, like do that job to the highest level of your ability. Um, one of the things that I'm proud of with going into this particular position is that I specifically said, I'm going to maintain these other outlets that I have. I'm going to maintain the projects that I'm doing for Carson Gibbons, which yeah. this is one of them. Yeah. I mean, we had that discussion whenever you first accepted this job, of we may need to shuffle around some stuff, but, um, but you made it very clear that this was a passion of yours and it's something that, uh, you know, I've fell, fallen in love with too. So I'm glad that we've been able to continue on with this outlet. But it is scary because you think you can get to an age where nothing matters anymore and you're not relevant and everybody that you know around you that was your age, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever it is, your partner, they've deceased and like everybody is younger and you've outlived your welcome and maybe you're running out of money and there's nothing to pass down to the next generation. And like, let's say that you had 60 knockout years and then the last 20 sucked or were totally subpar. Like you were relegated to a couch watching Fox news and eating green peas from meals on wheels. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say that becomes a reality. Do you die happy? It, See, that's the, what I'm saying. Are like, the experiences garnered in these years? Do they matter for anything other than these years? Like, and like I said, my fear isn't 100% noble because I want to matter. I want to matter in the lives of the people around me. And so that, like what you just said resonates a lot and is a, is a, I don't know, I, I guess an offshoot of that fear. Like, I don't, I don't want to be alone whenever I'm older and, and not continue making a difference. Even like, you know, if I outlive my spouse or uh, family members, like, like, I, I don't know how, I don't know how I would handle that. I would hate that. Yeah. It's just like, how do you get to the point of truly no regrets? You know, how do you, how do you get to the point where you can look back and say, I've lived a long, full life and are, are you really ready to go? Or like, I don't, I just, I really worry about it's, it's heightened in this time of coronavirus when, you know, it's all stats two weeks ago on the podcast. I'm like, is this a hoax? Let's joke about it. What's yeah. your best conspiracy theory. And meanwhile, I'm driving home from work the other day and you hear about like 4,200 people have died worldwide. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are outliers there that are of more normal age or, or more median age. Um, but there's obviously a lot of elderly people. But what I was thinking is that the ricochet effect from that, like 5,000 families yeah. buried someone. And I just kept trucking. Like, I'm making jokes about it on our podcast. Yeah. And, you know, what really matters? It's like you're struggling to get this deal done. And it falls through and you realize that the person that was the buyer is in an epicenter that's been shut down. You know, Mm -hmm. let's say you're trying to sell to a client in Italy and they're just on lockdown and they're like, dude, we're concerned about getting fresh food in. Like when, when, 
go and listen. Everybody go listen to that Joe Rogan infectious disease podcast because when they truly break down how fragile everything is and how our sense of normalcy and civility is just such a thin veil. All it's going to take is a natural disaster to a key plant or a key embargo trade route or whatever it is that it can literally, I mean, we're watching markets and the world slow down right now because it's almost hilarious to me. In some ways, I'm like, I hope coronavirus kills us all because how funny would that be? Like, how truly ironic would that be that we're all like, we need to quit carbon emission that we need to do. You know, the world's going to end in 20 years. Yeah, global Meanwhile, warming. We just die 20 years before that. Just some disease because some Asians ended up eating a, a posilium or whatever it is. <laughs> a polygon. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> I can never remember what that thing is called. The whole point being that I can go through all of these different thought cycles. Pangolin. Pangolin. Thank you. Pangolin. Pangolin. P-A-N. G-O-L-I-N. Yes, sir. Pangolin. It's like a Peloton that gives you a virus <laughs> when eaten. So that I don't know if I'm in my own experience and my experience is so much different from others, but my mood, my outlook, my needs temporally and long term could change three times in an hour in with my different thoughts. And I think meditation helps with this, but you know, I'm gunning home, excited to podcast, you know, coronavirus is a hoax. But then I did listen to that interview and this is actually happening, but it's just a bad flu. And then you just realize no matter what it is, 5,000 families are without a loved one right. due to something that literally was not a thing four weeks ago. If that doesn't remind you how temporal, small, insignificant, and silly we all are, we're just a bunch of apes clinging to a rock hurtling through space, you know? And we think that we know what's up. We're like, why did the government let this happen? You know, why did the government not step in here? Why did they not forecast this? Like, crazy things happen, you know? Like, we don't have all the answers. Our knowledge, even as expansive as it's become, with all the repositories on Google and Wikipedia and archives and books, you know, we've done a great job of documenting and getting ever better at documentation of what is occurring right now as the years have gone by. You know, think about from biblical times all the way to now where there's cable news documenting every corner of the world, every moment of every day. Yeah. What really matters? And does it only, does your state when you go out, is that really all you should gun for? Yeah. It, if you um... have 30 experiences in a week and 20 of them are positive that led to ROI, ROE, and peace and joy. Are you ha Is that a life well lived? Like, is this just creating more positive experiences than negative ones? Or it's hard to know. It's like, well, this is what I want to do today, but I have concerns because if I'm not investing in these items for tomorrow, maybe my needs will have changed by then and I will not have anticipated my changing needs. It's the whole question of, you know, kids versus no kids and that type of thing. Yeah. It's like, well, do I want a crying spoiled brat? No, I don't, I don't want anything to do with any of that. But when you picture yourself at 70 or 80 and there's just nothing, you know, mm -hmm. your name dies, no one's knocking on the door on Thanksgiving. You're the, the odd couple or single person that has to go next door to somebody else's family Thanksgiving because you didn't create. 
And I often wonder that they say, show me a great man that was born to a great man. And they say that talent and some of those different things skip generations. I know that my dad is a better father than his father was. I wonder if like that's going to skip this generation sometimes mm. if if those needs because sometimes when you come from certain circumstances i feel like you have a bigger urge to create your own situation that you can help mold create and control and and guide yeah. so it's it's the argument of like do people that come from a broken home have more of a desire to create their own and people that came from a home with little to no strife maritally or in other ways do they have less of a need because they take it for granted, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I can see how there'd be like a chip on your shoulder. Like I come from a broken home. My father was a wonderful father and I hope, you know, I mean, I have big shoes to fill and I think that I will still be a good father. So I don't, I don't know if that's going to skip generationally, but I also do. I also, you know, have been very, um, I guess selective and careful with who I end up with because I don't want my kids to be in a broken home. I still think I turned out all right, you know, and I love my parents and the extended family that I've gained um, through divorces. Um, but still, like, I, you know, I want to have a uh, a full family and, you know, I want my kids to have their uh, mom and dad in the same house. And um, so, yeah, I, I, and I think, you know, talking with other friends that have had divorced parents, that's something that we all kind of aim for. I don't know if that's like, I wouldn't say that's my purpose for having children. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to guarantee that this happens. Um, so I would totally, say, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say that by any means, but. And I think, you know, forgive me, I, I was using kind of an extreme example. There. Yeah, yeah um, I get you. I guess just whatever you've had access to in droves that you've ended up taking for granted in certain ways. I wonder if it mm -hmm. just leads to an overarching less of a need to recreate that for yourself or yeah it's um, not a, it's not it's toward the forefront of your thoughts. i have full faith that you're going to be the world's greatest dad 100 percent. and truth be told uh dean sounds like he has always been a great father and i didn't actually understand how close you guys are until oh, yeah. this podcast yeah and like talking to him and like hearing his feedback and all of this stuff like you know obviously i have a I have a pretty close relationship with my dad mm -hmm. and I think that in certain ways you get closer as you get older in a different way, yeah. you know, because it, you be, you're not peers, but you're not a subordinate either <laughs> yeah. anymore. It, it's right. kind of a weird deal, but, um, yeah. So th that's been awesome to witness though, is my main so. point in bringing that up because. Yeah. I think we've both learned more about each other's family. Like, I've I've known your family for years, but I'm still learning more and more about them, which is awesome because, you know, I consider them family too. Yeah. And, and maybe in terms of, I know that the saying about skipping generations is to do with talent and drive, yeah. not, not, um, which I think that you and your dad have both have a lot of talent and drive. So yeah. this is obviously just not applicable to you guys. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but I think in some ways fatherhood can, um, it can have a half-life where it gets better actually because mm -hmm. my dad's dad's dad was a piece of crap mm -hmm. you know um my dad's dad was present and not a piece of crap didn't do everything that my dad would have liked right you know uh my dad sought to 
right those wrongs almost in his behavior as a father, yeah. you know? Um, I think that he tried to create more of a sense of emotional closeness. Um, and he, he wanted to live a better life than his dad, just from like a, a health perspective. Yeah. And he'd seen horror stories from previous generations that he was like, I mean, we talked about the ganglion. That's why he was running. Cause like his dad had his first bypass surgery at age 49. Wow. So, you know, the different things that mold you. Yeah. I think, um, not even just parent wise, but the things that happen to us, I think we're always constantly trying to correct ship. And if we have kids, we're always, you know, wanting to provide a better life than the ones that we have. That doesn't necessarily mean that we had a terrible life, but we always want to, or I would think that whenever I have kids, you know, I would want them to have a better life than mine. What is that about the human spirit that always wants to make things better? that always wants to continually improve and get the new phone, you know, have access to the new life or, you know, what is it that even aside from gadgets and things and products, like America is very, it's intrinsically entrenched. (laughs) That's dumb (laughs) on our DNA that things have always gotten better with every generation. That's the American dream, baby. That's the big holdup right now with, the the couple of KPIs that have gone down that are, you know, critical to the American dream is life expectancy has dropped for the first time in a long time. Yeah. It was always on the ramp up due to modern medicine, but due to drug abuse and suicides and all sorts of different parameters, heart disease, um, that has gone down in the last couple of years, but also that each generation will do better than their parents. Yeah. And they're saying that millennials basically due to the way that the markets are set up and our attention span, our differing set of needs or expectations uh, versus our parents, yeah. you know, that we might be the first generation that doesn't make as good as our yeah. parents did compared to theirs. I can see that happening. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, me undies, come on through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you think we did that justice? I think so. That's what you're most, uh, it's funny. We talk about 39 summers left. Shelly was texting me earlier and she said, well, we're fine because we're middle-aged. And I was like, get, wash your (laughs) mouth out with soap, girl. Like middle-aged. You are middle-aged. And then I go, well, yeah, we know I'm not lasting past 68. So I've got 38 years left. You know (laughs) what I mean? But at the same time, I sat down and did retirement like projections the other day to Mm -hmm. see, okay, if I want to spend this much money per month, you know, for 40 years. What does that look like? And it's like, goodness gracious, I'm going to be at this for a minute. Um, But what if I get cut down in my tracks by coronavirus and I spent my last night on earth, you know, ignoring texts, ignoring social calls, ignoring opportunities to go be joyful and fellowship with other human beings because I was getting ready for a big meeting. Yeah. It's hard to reconcile that. It's hard and, you know, in this snapshot news cycle age that we're in, it's like you're only as good as you were when you died. You know what I mean? Like you can go out on top, you can go out on the bottom and it's a really weird thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. You know, like, I don't know, like one minute you're a respected artist dating Ariana Grande at the height of your game. And the next day you're broken up with and you're dead by your own hand. Yeah. So to speak. And, you know, Mac isn't a great example because I think he still has everybody's respect. Everyone misses him. They yeah. still view him as a joyful character in many ways. But his drugs were tampered with. But it, yeah, really? What does that mean? 
like they were laced with other with stuff that he, with he, that he wasn't aware of. But anyway. I mean, that happens. I mean, yeah. the, you don't know what right. people are cutting stuff up it, with. Yeah. The whole point being, I think in his case, it was the overall por- portrait of his life yeah. that shines through. There's other characters like when I got on the Dean for listening to Michael Jackson, it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to remember certain caveats about people. Like when Harvey Weinstein inevitably dies, he got sentenced to 23 years in prison today, yeah. which is incredible. When he inevitably dies in the first 24 months, that's what he'll be remembered. That's for. what he'll be remembered for. So let's say that you could be at the height of your game and let's not comment on the morality here. Let's just say that he wasn't, he was getting with these women under no false pretenses, under no illusion of force or anything like that. Sure. Let's say you could be the head of a big studio and be at the height of your game, being thanked from the podium for the Oscars. You're sleeping with the most beautiful actresses in the world. And that's the first 85% of your life. Mm-hmm. But then you go into the penitentiary from 67 to 77 and that's how it ends. Yeah. Was that a life well lived? No, I'm straight. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. Yeah, man. And I, th- that's obviously an extreme example, but what if, what if the pen- penitentiary is something else like a nursing home or whatever state you're in? Yeah. I mean, quality of life is everything and I, I don't want to give that up. So like, I, I worry about the day when things are not comfy for me yeah. because that's going to be a bad day for the world. If you've <laughs> ever met old Carson Gibbons, like yeah. you keep, me I've comfy. seen, I've seen him without his coffee. So <laughs> <laughs> he's not lying. Picture that all the time. <laughs> Picture like I'm not getting access to whatever it is that makes my body feel comfy. Yeah. You know, whether a third party or produced by my own body those years are coming you know winter is coming yeah man (laughs) oh man makes you just want to throw these microphones down and like go out to the park and share airspace with other infected individuals and fellowship (laughs) let's all get the rona man (laughs) and the rona yeah i love it i mean I feel like we should. We shouldn't be banning spectators from sports. We should all get the virus and get this over with. Yeah. Right? Let's all, yeah. Let's all get it out of the way. I mean, if... Let's just take the next four weeks off as a country and all get it and all quarantine and be good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm cool with that. Let's do it after next week, though. I got spring break next week. So none of your travel is going to be abated by any of the... I mean, I'm in a car. Oh, you're, you're road tripping? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were uh, flying. Nah, so bro. Okay, so they can't tell you you can't drive. Nah. What if it does come down to, I mean, there's certain travel restrictions and quarantining guidelines and enforcements that are happening and going to happen? Yeah. What if you got wrongfully accused of having the Rona and they took away a month of your life? Like, do you think that we're going to encounter different, like, I saw, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but yesterday there was live footage of a fight that had broken out on a cruise ship because passengers weren't being allowed to exit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not see that. So what if I got quarantined? What for, if they took away your freedom? My, my students would be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want those subs. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'd be chilling. A lot of this boils down to me trying to predict, project, and control the future. And yeah. that is just never going to happen. No, don't waste. And your that's time. the beauty of it. I just need to release, you know. Yeah, do do the, you know, go for a walk in the park. 
like yeah. you were talking about, you know? For sure. Do do those good things. Well, be very safe on your way to Colorado. Yeah. Um, I hope that you don't think too much about question 13. <laughs> <laughs> think about blondes versus brunettes more than <laughs> end of the world stuff. Yeah. My girl's hair is red right now. <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah. She's way hotter than Julianne Moore, dude. Yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> Julianne Moore couldn't even be her mom. <laughs> <laughs> Julianne Moore. Everyone boycott Julianne, by the way. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, um, any any shout outs and sign off? Um. Just shout out to our loved ones, man. Um, whether you're listening to this or not, uh, you've greatly impacted our lives, and uh, we're so thankful for you. You, my loved ones, you you made me who I am today, and I wouldn't want to be anybody else. So, totally, I, I love the generic shout out. Like, I love it's like everybody that led to the fabric of this quilt that is my life. Like yeah. everybody that contributed to us answering these thirteen questions, exactly. uh, putting us in a position like to have met to have yeah. sparked this creative conversation and project and the fact that you know we've created like 40 hours of content together now mm. tackling some of these things that we wouldn't have otherwise yeah. you know especially in a forum where we pay it the respect that it deserves and that we can go back and critique and listen to our own our own stuff as well yeah, you know and continue to grow you know just through our through our own words and realizing you know sometimes the we make mistakes and we clean it up on the next episode. And, um, I, I definitely think this uh, has improved like this format and this podcast and talking with you has, uh, already made me a better person. So I enjoyed the the more structured format today. I feel like we made really great use of the time and the listeners time. Yeah. Um, we'd love your feedback. Um, maybe we do more of these types of things and go into different areas of, uh, life and philosophy and thought practice um so we're open to your feedback um i'm on twitter at carson c gibbons instagram carson gibbons and the show is wkly catch up pod on twitter and weekly catch up podcast.com on the web yeah and you can find me some other way <laughs> it's either brad or humble brad or i'm always yeah. searching for the wrong thing in the wrong platform <laughs> i'm like oh he's just his real name in this one yeah <laughs> Brad Colvin hasn't tweeted since like 2009 and they just won't delete that account. <sighs> Should go buy that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, shout out to everyone. We really appreciate y'all listening. Brad, yeah. have safe travels and we'll, we'll catch you all up next week. Thanks man. Carson, love you. And love uh, you too, man. And uh, we'll catch you up next time.